Good morning. A reading from the book of 1 John. For this is a message that you have heard from, from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, his, for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. But this we shall know, that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. The word of the Lord. Butch needs all the encouragement he can get. Um, welcome. Good morning. I was going to say uh, welcome on this sunny morning, as uh, Paul mentioned, and now the sun's gone. Um, the thunder's been amazing. Yesterday, I actually got scared. Um, an alarm went off in our house, and I have no idea what it was. I could not trace it. I don't know what it was, but it scared me, scared Silas. But uh, that's what you get down here in Charleston, I guess, is uh, some of that weather. Welcome. Thank you for being here with us. If you are a guest, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor of Discipleship, and it really is um, a joy to get together with you and specifically to walk through this passage we're going to be looking at for the next few minutes. So you just heard read. As I was thinking about this passage and also 1 John in general, um, what came to mind is a ministry that Laura and I have done for years and we really enjoy, uh, walking with couples who are about to be married through premarital. And one of the things that we talk about is uh, we ask them a question, you know, is marriage intended to be for happiness or holiness? And obviously happiness isn't a bad thing, but God's intent through marriage is to make us more holy. And that just doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes that comes through tension, it comes through challenge, it comes through some pressures that come along, but it helps to grow us. And I was thinking about that, I also came across a, a quote or something that you've probably heard. This idea that grapes must be crushed to make wine, diamonds form under pressure, olives are pressed to release oil, and seeds grow in darkness. And through all of this, what we see is growth. But there's pressure, there's challenge, there's tension. Why, why do I share this? Because already there have been some hard truths in 1 John. If you've noticed, John doesn't hold back punches. He is challenging the reader, those he cared about, those he cares about, loved. He's challenging them to think about their faith, to think about their relationship with Christ. 
And he's challenged them in a way that's not to condemn, but also met with reassurance. But it's all built out of love. But sometimes it's not the easiest things to hear. Um, we've seen this. Why does he do this? What, what we see throughout is that we'll find these hard truths, not only here in 1 John, but throughout the entirety of the Bible, because God's main purpose in our life is not simply to make us comfortable um, or to make us simply feel good. There's a much deeper purpose. There's a much greater purpose. We even saw it in chapter 2 of this letter so far when it says that we are to walk in the same way he, Jesus, walked. And what this means is growth. And growth is impossible without pressure, tension, challenge. As we look at our lives through the lens of the gospel, there's an overwhelming beauty that we know of grace that we find there, but there's also an overwhelming offense to our pride, to our ego, to our comfort, to our preference, to our priorities. And we need to be confronted with this offense, not watered down, not made more palatable, but confronted without filter, ultimately for our good. Um, the great uh, preacher of old, Pastor Charles Spurgeon, says this. He says, do not try to make the gospel tasteful to carnal minds. Do not hide the offense of the cross, lest you make it of no effect. As John writes this letter, he wants to challenge us to take an honest look at ourselves, to take an honest look at the way we live, the way we think, the way we see God, the way that we see ourselves. And even as we are going to look at here for just a few minutes this morning, to take an honest look at the way we see and treat one another. He challenges us out of love. Jesus challenges us out of love as we look at this within the framework of the gospel, because it's within that confrontation that we see true life change happen. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into this passage. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us now, wherever we might find ourselves, wherever you might find us. God, I pray that you would uh, take away, maybe a temptation not to hear your words. I pray that you would take away any roadblocks that might be there. I, I pray that you would um, show us your love first and foremost, and that might affect our hearts in a way that, uh, that moves us closer to you and closer to one another. I pray that you would reach down into the areas of our life that maybe we're hesitant uh, to be honest about, maybe where there's a bit of hardening or brokenness, and that you would uh, rebuild by your love, by your power, by your strength for our good, for your glory. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so let's jump into this. We're going to start in uh, verse 11, chapter 3. It says, For this is a message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because he, his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now what you see from the very beginning here is that John uses this term. He says, you've heard this from the beginning, specifically probably speaking about Jesus' ministry. 
He's like, you've heard this. You know this, that this idea of loving one another, that this is a fundamental part of having a relationship with God. This isn't something new. This is some evidence of that relationship taking root. And from the previous section, John is now pivoting from sort of a a moral test into a love test of our faith and the authenticity of our relationship with Jesus. Again, not to condemn, but to um, soberly have us look at this relationship, evaluate it, so that we can continue to grow in it. Also, so we would not be persuaded by lies and falsehood and dragged over here away from God, but that we would be brought closer to him. Specifically, John is talking to uh, the family of Christ. He's speaking about how we inside of this family, inside of this community are to love one another. And so he starts out by giving us pretty much the worst possible example you can think of of what it means to be a good, loving brother. All right? He brings up this story from Genesis of Cain and Abel, uh, sons of Adam and Eve. And if you don't know this story, you're not familiar with it. Essentially, Abel, he brings his best before God and offers it to him as a sacrifice. And God says, this is pleasing in my sight. And then you have Cain who brings uh, his sacrifice before God, and God knows that it's not his best, and he also knows Cain's heart, and he doesn't accept it as pleasing. And what happens is instead of repenting, instead of saying, oh, yeah, like, you got me here. Like, I need to go. I need to bring a better sacrifice. Instead, what happens is Cain takes his brother's life. Blood is shed. It's not good. Why did Cain do this to his brother? Well, this passage tells us exactly why, and what you can boil it down to essentially is pride and jealousy. He knew he wasn't bringing a suitable sacrifice, but he wouldn't repent. Pride. And he wanted what his brother had, this right standing before God. Jealousy. And so he takes his brother's life. John makes it clear that we shouldn't be surprised when the world treats us in the same way. Even people in the community in which we live treat us in the same way. Even those who we would consider friends and allies. Because when pride takes root, jealousy often follows. So to bring this down to ground level, let me, let me just ask you these questions. Have you ever had something good happen in your life to you? And some of the people that you expected to be happy for you that you expected to have your back, to be in your corner, that that love you, that care about you, all of a sudden maybe they grow distant. All of a sudden maybe they're talking about you behind your back. All of a sudden they don't have time for you. All of a sudden it feels like things have changed. But wait, I thought you cared about me. I, I, I thought you loved me. This is what pride can do, especially when pride becomes jealousy. Now, I know we don't want to ask this. I didn't want to ask this this week when I was prepping this message, but that's usually what happens. You are forced to confront your own stuff. Have you ever been on that other side? The one who's felt that pride and jealousy when something good happens to someone else, when something um, good happens and you find yourself in this place with this inner voice saying, I want that. They don't deserve that. I deserve that. Why should, why should they experience that? Why should they have this? 
At times, you even find yourself, and this is where it gets really hard and it kind of stings, you may even find yourself feeling this inward happiness that you know isn't right, but it's still there when others fail or fall. And if you would, without raising your hand, be like, yeah, I've felt that, I feel that at times. Yeah, me too. That's what's tough about this, is that there's an inward tension. Is that there's this command to love one another, and yet at times we can find it incredibly difficult to love one another because we can become so self-focused on what I want, what I need. And when we see someone else experience that, pride can well up, jealousy can well up. And instead of wanting the best for someone else, we can actually become frustrated by the good that's happening over there because we want that good right here. And this is something that God and his grace and his patience is trying to rid us of, is trying to unpack in our life. Um, Jonathan Edwards nails this. Check out this quote. He said, pride is a person having too high an opinion of himself. Pride is the first sin that ever entered into the universe and the last sin that is rooted out. Pride is the worst sin. It is the most secret of all sins. There is no other matter in which the heart is more deceitful and unsearchable. Alas, how much pride the best have in their hearts. Pride is God's most stubborn enemy. There's no sin so much like the devil as pride. It is secret and the subtle sin and appears in a great many shapes which are undetected and unsuspected. And so John brings this up with Cain. He says, hey, let me use this example. This is not it. This is a representation of hate. This is a representation of death. And if you've passed into life, your relationship with others, especially other brothers and sisters in the faith, should look very different. And did you notice more than any other word popping up in these first verses is the word and term brother. Five times just in these first verses alone, which is so important and so intentional. John is specifically talking to Christians here about how they're to love other Christians. The idea being that if we can't love one another well inside of this family, forget trying to love anybody else well outside of there. It needs to start here at home. And so while hate is a sign of death, he says love is a sign of new life. The ability to look past ourselves and to actively seek the flourishing of another is a fundamental outworking of a relationship with Jesus. You'll notice John doesn't use the term love fellow believers, love other Christians. No, he says brothers. And obviously you can also insert sisters here. That we're to love our brothers and sisters. In the same way, and I know this, maybe we have some strained relationships with siblings here, so I'll say we should. In the same way that you should love and support and care for a blood brother or sister, this is the same type of love that should be shown to your spiritual brothers and sisters now. It's not surfacy, it's not hesitant, it's not just lip service, it's not self seeking, it's the most counter cultural, different type of love that there is, and it's sacrificial. And what does this sacrificial love look like? We get the best example you could possibly get. John's doing our work for us here. Check out these next verses. By this, we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. 
and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John gives us a great ex- example of love, and, and he's not beating around the bush. He comes straight forward with it, and he puts it right in front of us. He says, here's love. Here's this type of love. It's Jesus. It's Jesus laying down his life for you. And check this out. Jesus didn't just lay down his life for you. He laid down his life for you as his enemy, not a brother and sister who loved him at first. No, no, no. He loved us first, his enemy, He would pick up our sin and lay down his life so that we could now be invited into the family as brothers and sisters. So the ones who were on the outside and who wanted nothing to do with him were seeking to put him to death are now invited to come into the family through this amazing adoption because of what Jesus has done by laying down his life. This is active. It's not passive. Got to see that. This isn't some passive type of love. And that's exactly what you'll see if you just walk around and you interact. A lot of passive love. Oh, I love you. You know, or love is boiled down to a romantic type of love or maybe a feeling or something we say, or maybe it's just contractual. Yeah, I love you as long as you do this and you give me this, then I'll show this type of love to you. What it's talking about here is much deeper than that. It's this covenantal love. It's this no strings attached love that's simply poured out for the good of you, even at the cost of him. That's the type of love John's getting at here as he brings up the perfect and beautiful example of Jesus laying down his life, completely countercultural. It allows us to pull back, or better yet, it allows God to pull back our selfishness that blinds us and to put on selflessness that allows us to now see the needs of our brothers and sisters and not just walk on by Like we see in the story of the Good Samaritan, there's a guy in need. He's busted up. It's very clear he's in need. It's not like, hey, is this guy in need? Yeah, he's bloody, bruised, and broken on the side of a road. And yet the two brothers who should have been caring for him, what do they do? They walk on by. They've got their own agenda. They don't have time for him. This type of love stops. (laughs) It stops. It requires sacrifice, it requires intentionality, but it's actually looking to meet the needs of those around us, whatever that may be, very active. Uh, One of my pastor buddies, as I was prepping for this sermon, he put up a post of just like this picture, Um, talk is cheap, be present. (laughs) And I was like, hey, that's good. I feel like that'll fit. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to steal this from you and, and put it up. Uh, exactly. That's, that's a reflection of this type of love. Not just lip service, not just, hey, I love you, I love you, but without any action. And that's what John's getting at here is, no, 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 this type of love takes action. This type of love is present, even when it costs you something, even when it costs you greatly. And meeting needs, even though it says the one who has the world's goods, it, we don't need to just boil this down to money. That's not it. We can love in a lot of different ways. Um, we can meet needs in a lot of different ways. Um, we can give time, we can give talent, we can lend a hand. Um, whether it's the ability to help meet a monetary need, to be a listening ear, to lend a hand, to pray for, to drop off a meal, to give a ride, to sit with in the brokenness of life, the sacrificial love that looks past self. So let me just ask you this real question. How have you been loved? How have you been loved in this way? And we're going to do something that's very unique. And uh, I've only done this a few times ever. And it's a little bit risky and it even scares me. But uh, I'm going to put some trust in you 
Sometimes instead of sharing an illustration, it's really good for us to hear from one another because there are so many different stories that I get to hear and Pastor Paul gets to hear and our staff gets to hear of how we live out life in community loving one another that you may never hear, you may never even know of. And so we're just literally going to take just a couple of minutes and here's what I would say sort of like a school teacher. Don't wait five minutes and then you decide to pop up at the very end. But I would invite, maybe there's just a few of you that if you've been a part of the One Fellowship family, I would ask you this morning, how have you been loved in a small, tangible way or maybe a large way by another individual in the One Fellowship family, in your family of faith, or by maybe a pocket community in this faith? And we're literally going to do this. So Paul has a mic. And so you can just stand up where you are um, if something comes to mind, right? Luna, are you standing or are you stretching your legs? Okay, Luna's standing. Um, so some of you know, my youngest got second degree burns last year at the beginning of the year and the mops community pulled together and, um, they paid for DoorDash to help take something off my plate. So it was pretty impactful. That's awesome. Thank you, mops. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, we're going to Lindsay. Hi, I'm Lindsay. Um, sadly, a couple months ago, my brother uh, passed away on his own um, decision. And he was the closest person to me in my entire life. We were um, beyond. He was my everything. Uh, this church I'd only been to for maybe a couple weeks at that point, maybe a month. Um, I only moved to Charleston very recently with my son. Um, but the way that this church threw their arms around me was mind-boggling from, you know, Melissa Hong, who's not here right now, to Rachel, to it was just a never-ending drumbeat of support and no judgment. And I just, it was better than the grief counseling. Um, it's better than the psychiatrist that I've been working with. It was, um, I honestly think that I'm okay to be alive on a daily basis as a mother because of the church. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Wow, where do I start? <laughs> Maybe we'll start with just the infectious, crazy, fun attitude of Jonathan Dixon, no matter where he is. I mean, whether he is at Bible school, loving on my kids and jumping around and dancing, or whether we're at the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A and he comes and runs and sticks his head out, even though he's got a hundred more things to do. Um, from Jonathan to Leslie Brewer, who has um, who has really helped me in so many ways? I I could stand here and go on about her forever, which I'm I'm sure a lot of y'all could. Um, just walking through um, being a newly single mom and her helping me and praying with me and talking to me and um, and and even really to Taylor for for getting me involved with this group and, and getting me singing again. And, um, you know, he, I, th I think I just happened to mention to him one Sunday that I used to sing at Dollywood. And then all of a sudden he's texting me like, when, you know, when are you going to come? And, and I don't deserve to be on this stage. I, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I need to be on this stage. And I'm, I'm really thankful 
Should I go on? Or... <laughs> So Butch and I came to this church by invitation from my cousin, Mason. And it was, what, four years ago, you think? And we came from a mega church in Mount Pleasant that had grown, it had outgrown us, we felt like. And being in our 70s, we kind of felt like, well, we'll just sitting in our rocking chairs and, you know, grow old together. But the minute we got here, I have felt like I've been uh, invited to a lot of the women's things and a lot, lot of young women. I have felt like I have a place now, but more than that to me, the most important thing to me is that my husband, Butch, is loved so much by so many men, young men, and he feels like he, it's making him feel like he is really needed to be a witness. Um, I myself feel like sometimes I need to be a witness as a mother of a lot of children and a lot of grand, uh, grandchildren and now two great-grandchildren. But um, they're on Butch's side. You know he's much older than I am. <laughs> but anyway, I just love the fact that this is a church for all ages. And amen to that. Amen. Thanks. All right. One, uh, one, more if, one more if you got it, and then we're going to keep moving. I know that we could sit here all day, and at the same time, I will not force it. Maria's. Sure. All right. Chris. Yeah. So uh, Jen and I um, started joining. We just moved to Charleston about September of last year. Um, had just started attending church regularly. By mid-October, um, we had been invited to attend a small group uh, with the Sorensons, Purnells, many others. Um, and by mid-October, we were getting, we received news uh, that our college-age son had returned from a trip and to a situation where his roommate and friend had decided that he could not really deal with the pressure anymore. Um, fortunately, um, the young man survived that situation, but it was just a really rough time uh, for our son dealing with that and for Jen and I. And the fact that we were brand new to the church but had this instant community of people um, who just really allowed us to be vulnerable um, in their midst and surrounded us in love and prayer and hugs um, is exactly what we needed when we need it, and I'm just so thankful. I know Jen is so thankful uh, to God that he placed us here when he did and um, placed us in your guys' arms. Thank you. Thank you all for sharing. I know that um, it can seem easy, but standing up and sharing, um, especially what you shared, is so, such a vulnerable thing, and yet it's such a beautiful thing. Um, what stands out to me, too, is you hear these stories, and I know that we could sit here, and a lot of you could share, and if you're newer here, this is what you'll get if you come to One Fellowship. Paul will tell you that maybe a little later in the service. But um, it's impossible to love your brothers and sisters like this if you don't know your brothers and sisters like this. And so I would just tell you, you're not meant to do it alone. <laughs> get into community. We'll help you do that. 
But that's the beauty of even these stories and what you're sharing is it's this beautiful picture of community loving each other, not in the sense that we're all best friends. We've got different personalities and different opinions, and we won't agree on everything, but this type of love goes far beyond that. The thing that we all have in common is Jesus, what he's done in us and what he's doing through us. And that's beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than this. And so thank you for sharing. As we move through this and we get to this last part of the passage, John just encourages us. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The ability to love one another, to genuinely love one another, which is no small thing, is one of the most beautiful expressions of the gospel and God within us. And this abiding is what John's talking about here. This deep-knit connection where our desires become more like his desires. And John even touches on this when he talks about the things that you ask and the requests that you bring. If we work backwards here, he tells us that what pleases God is when we follow his commandments, specifically that we believe in his son Jesus and that we love one another. And when this happens, selfishness will start to be replaced by selflessness. And when we ask God for things and we bring those requests to him, we're going to be in closer and closer alignment We won't be self-seeking, but aligning with his heart. And here's where God's heart always is. It's for his children. He wants the best for his children. And he went to such great lengths to show us this and to prove it. How? By Jesus laying down his very life. That's why we're called to lay down our very life for our brothers and sisters. And this will cost you. And it will not be easy at times. And yet it's one of the greatest things that you can do is to give to meet the needs of those around you. Sometimes in the smallest of ways, the 9 a.m. service, Leslie talked about sending a text to a friend that was in here and her car not working and then dropping everything and going and making sure she had a ride somewhere. This doesn't have to be mind-blowing over the top. It's being present where you are as God leads you with the brothers and sisters around you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a transformative thing. It's amazing. And yet... Have you noticed that it's not always easy to love each other? It's not. Let's be honest. Not always the easiest. If God cares so much about this, why it sometimes is it so difficult to love one another? Because what was once natural has been broken by sin. You see that in Cain. You see that and feel that in your own life. Love is not a given. Sometimes it's extremely hard. Sometimes it's messy because we are the broken trying to care for and love the broken as God works on us. It's messy. It takes intentionality. It takes sacrifice. And here's an honest truth. We're never going to do it perfectly. Sometimes we're just going to flat out blow it. That's what I love about John, including here that our, our hearts will condemn us at times. You ever felt that? 
You feel like, man, I botched it. I blew it. How could I be loved? I'm not lovable. Oh, I didn't love them well. Man, that was super selfish. Oh, I fell into this sin again. Our hearts will condemn us. Our hearts will try to tell us, hey, God doesn't love you. You don't love God. You don't love others. All of these lies. And I love what John says here. He says, no, no, no. God knows the heart. And he's speaking the truth. Listen to that truth above everything else. And he's getting at something far deeper here because sometimes we believe that our ability to do things, even love, is contingent upon our ability. And it's not. You can try as hard as you want. You will not be able to love in a sustained way, in this sacrificial way, without Jesus changing your heart, changing your eyes, changing your life. Because it will grow old at times. It will cost you too much. You'll throw in the towel. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon everything Jesus has done for you and in you. I love this. The Gospel Transformation Bible says the presence of love will provide the right grounds for assurance in the face of uncertainty and feelings of condemnation, reminding us that what God knows to be true is what is right, not just what we feel. Do you remember when Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount? So we sort of wrap this up. And he's talking about perfection. This always hit me as a kid. It scared me to death. He's actually talking about love here, and he's saying, hey, and now I command you, be perfect as your father's perfect. And as a kid, I was like, I'm in trouble because um, I'm far from perfect, right? And it's sort of this mic drop moment where everybody's looking around, and these religious elite are looking around, and they're like, I'm not perfect. Are you perfect? Like, I'm not perfect. We can't do this. We can't make this happen. And he's like, exactly. It's impossible. Only through Jesus will God see you in right standing. It's only through Jesus that you're even able to do this in the first place. It's only through Jesus you need to and have to rely on him and the work that he's done and is doing. And so John's intent here, and the point is not to just give you another thing to do. Hey, now get busy. Hey, you heard it? Love one another? Now get busy. Go, go, go love one another, right? Another thing. You're like, oh, goodness, okay, another. And that's not John's intent and his purpose here at all. The intent is toward reliance on Jesus that then enables you to love others because you're so humbled by how well you've been loved and you realize that your greatest needs are already met in Jesus. So you can then look beyond yourself with these new eyes and with this new heart and you can see the needs of others. You can be present for others and you can put down what you're doing and you can let go of that selfishness and pick up selflessness. So even when we botch it, when it comes to loving one another, obeying, basically falling short of saying, thinking, and doing anything that's what's right, and we will time and time again, we don't go to inward condemnation, but instead we keep going to the cross over and over, time and time again. Reminded by the Spirit of God who knows what is right and knows what is true and assures us of our standing before him that we are his sons and daughters because of and only because of the love that Jesus has poured out. And as that love takes root in our life and we're assured of this promise and we can lay down our pride and our ego and our timetable and our priorities can we then love one another inside of the family in the way that God intends? But it all starts with Jesus. 
That's why the big idea of this whole passage isn't simply to get busy loving one another. Here it is. To genuinely love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we must first know and experience the love of God through Christ. And so how do we respond to this today? I would say two ways. There's a lot of signs of how we love one another, right? We talked about a few of them today. Through sacrifice, generosity, patience, availability, presence, honesty, grace, joy, I would encourage us toward two things today. The the first one is an opportunity for repentance. Maybe there's a place in your heart where you're like, hey, I know I haven't loved uh, very well when it comes to others around me, especially maybe inside of the body of Christ. Um, I feel like I've been very focused on me, and God, I just need to repent of that. I need to lay that down. Would you give me new eyes? Would you give me a new heart for those around me? Would I see their needs? Would Would I look to meet them? Would I be intentional? Would I... Simply walk across the room. Maybe that's the first step today is for you to literally walk across the room to another brother and sister and to be there for them, to talk for them, to talk with them, to pray for them. Maybe you've hurt someone in the family and you need to just go to them today, whether it's in this room or it's outside of here, and you need to say, I'm sorry. I didn't love you well. I wasn't there for you when you needed me. I walked past you. Maybe you've been hurt by someone in the family of God. That happens. I've experienced that. You probably have too. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And maybe you've been harboring that. Maybe it's made you scared of being vulnerable and opening up and jumping back into community. Would you just experience that God's good enough, that he has you? So there's this opportunity for repentance, for laying down, for, for turning from whatever it is that maybe has hardened that piece of your heart or that area you haven't wanted to look at or just push away from to turn toward Jesus who's loved you so well. And, and in the spirit of that, one of my buddies this week, um, Justin, who's going to come speak, he, he sent this text. We were talking about something and, and he, j- he just said this. I thought it was so good. He said, the Christian life is one of repentance. Go to Christ where there's any sin. Be absolved and go in peace. There's beauty in that. And the second thing I would say is reflection. Would you just reflect on how much you've been loved by God? (laughs) Soak it up. You may not, you may be in a hard season right now. You may not have everything you want. You may even be struggling to see that you have what you need. And yet, would you soak up the love that God has shown you through his son laying down his life? Would you embrace it? Would you allow it to wash over you? Would you thank God for the people he's placed in your life around you who want the best for you, who are there for you in the good, who are there for you in the bad? Would you reflect on this beautiful love today? If you don't have a relationship with him, Jesus wants to know you because he loves you. He already did the work. He doesn't need you to. You can hand him your life, he'll give you a better life, a new life in him. Jesus, thank you for your love today. Thank you for your heart for us. I pray that you would uh, grow us in the areas specifically around loving one another that you need to, that you want to. I pray that you'd give us a greater eyes and a greater heart for you and for our brothers and sisters around us. God, I pray that you would tear away pride, jealousy, all of the things that get in the way of love. And I pray that this is not something that we would try to do on our own, out of our own strength, that we would try to muster up the ability to love, but we would know that this starts with you and it ends with you. 
the times where we've botched it and the times where we will, would we be assured of our relationship with you because of you? Would we go to the cross again and again and again? And even today, where we need to repent, would we repent? Where we'd leave that sin with you, would we pick up forgiveness and walk forward? Would we reflect and bask in and soak up the love and kindness of you and your beautiful, beautiful, amazing grace? Thank you for loving us, your enemies, and making us your friend. Thank you for doing more than that and bringing us as your friend into the family as brothers and sisters who now have many brothers and sisters all around us. What beautiful love this is. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.